0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode number 54 of the Learning to Lead podcast. I'm excited to be with you again this month. And uh, in this episode, I actually got the privilege of interviewing someone who's had a pretty significant impact on my life uh, in the past three years, and his name is Rick Wellock. He's an executive coach and organizational consultant. And I first met Rick... um, through an experience I had through with the Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation. They have a program called the Leaders Collaborative uh, which is a 12 month leadership experience and it had a huge impact on my life and um, just a side note on that. I won't talk a lot about the experience because I want to get into the interview but I would say that it's a phenomenal experience and I would love to talk to you more about the experience that I had through there. I've included a link in the show notes um, where you can get more information about that. If you're interested and you want to ask me about the Leaders Collaborative program, uh, you can email me at Doug live at gmail.com and I'd be glad to to talk to you about that and then also if you're just interested in general about the the collaborative what the Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation is all about you can email their president Lisa Slayton at L Slayton at PLF Dot org, and her email address is in the show notes. And she's a fantastic leader as well. I had the privilege of interviewing her a few years ago, and uh, I also included a link to that interview in the show notes if you'd like to listen to it. Um, so I really encourage you to check out the Pittsburgh leader, uh, Leadership Foundation. They're doing some fantastic work in the city of Pittsburgh. And so that being said, one reason uh, the experience was so significant to me, the Leaders Collaborative, was because of the time I got to spend with Rick. Um, and I could probably, I would say that I probably have had five or six one-on-one meetings with Rick. However, in each of those conversations, um, I was not only able to discover uh, some of the roots, the issues I was dealing with, uh, but also Rick gave me some very practical steps that I could take to overcome them. And he has had a huge influence in, in my life in those conversations, and I'm extremely grateful for for the impact he's had on my life and the life of so many others uh, you know, w- talking to other people who have been through the Leaders Collaborative, everyone talks about Rick and the impact that he makes in it and there's there's no one like Rick and in fact, uh, I would really encourage you to listen to this interview all the way through to the end, it uh, it may be one of the my favorite endings to any interview I've ever done in my life uh, I just love Rick, he's hilarious uh, but he's a great guy and he's also very genuinely interested in helping people um, become everything that God's called them to be, and so I'm grateful for them. I know that you'll love this interview, and uh, enjoy. We'll just jump right into it. Thank you so much for doing this interview. Appreciate it. And why don't we start with you just telling us a little bit about yourself, maybe what you're passionate about, what you do.
1: Well, I'm 69. No, I'm 67. I'm not 69 (laughs) yet. I'm I'm focused on how I want to be when I'm 70, and trying to put little pieces in place along the way i'm 67 i've been married 40 years i'm in my 41st year of marriage to dodie so we have two adult children amy staggs she's 32 married to brett staggs and reed uh wellock and he's married to rachel wellock and they got married on saturday that's great big doings big doings so i um my my primary purpose that is kind of a crew to grow over time is to mobilize the body of Christ so that they manifest the kingdom and my my the location for where I do this the arena is where people work where they invest their best on a regular basis okay and practice that which uh, hopefully they, what I encourage them to do, that which which they do well and where they excel, things they've enjoyed doing, believe they've done well and found satisfying. And as they refine that craft and as it matures in God's providence, which usually happens through difficulties and obstacles, friction. Mm That there's a growing sense of alignment and realization about not only how they're uniquely gifted, but, but a sense of calling, participation with God, being pulled out, drawn out to join him and his people in the work, and a focus of career, the different locations, the different places that they invest those strengths. So I got there by working as, uh, in an educational resource center back in the 70s and 80s, early 80s, called the Ligonier Valley Study Center. I worked with R.C. Sproul, who's a the- theologian and b- Bible teacher. And I focused primarily on two questions. Who is God, and how can I get to know him, and who am I, and what am I to do to my li- with my life? And uh, that's where I discovered that as people tell stories, Things they enjoy doing, believe they do well, and find satis- deeply satisfying. But what is emerges is the way that each of us look at the world and go about doing what we do well. That's great. So I've been working with that for uh, well over thirty years now. Well over thirty years. So uh, that's 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 kind of what my life's about. Um, what else would you like to know about my life?
0: Yeah, I'm curious. Who are maybe one or two people that have have influenced you uh, in your journey the most? And how do they specifically do that?
1: Well, early on, the greatest influence I had was Jonathan Winters. Jonathan Winters was a comedian in the 60s and 70s. And I was enamored by his ability to take objects and... Uh, uh, p- that people gave him and step into characters and he could, he could take his imagination and step into roles that were very potent and powerful and uh, I realized early on that I was similar to him so I had someone to look to that helped me build the primary strength I have which is my imagination and the secondary strength I have which is my capacity to influence so Jonathan Winters would be very important Another person that's very important would be Bill White, William White. He's a Ph.D. in educational psychology, and he 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 mentored me when I first became a Christian. And uh, oh, the other person that really influenced me was Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys. <laughs> okay. Uh-oh. Well, he followed his craft. Hmm. He had a bent toward excellence. He had. Is he
0: the lead singer? I don't. I, don't he's, know. He's, I the Beach Boys. But yeah,
1: he had. He he was. He, he did the original falsettos. He was a bass player, but he composed all the music. He wrote the music. Wrote the harmonies. Okay, and he really was at the core. Uh, he, he, he was. He was a writer and composer and arranger. He is, and I just found it, it magical. And I've identified with both of those men because they're creative artists. They were true to their craft. And they made their own way in the world. Make sense? Yeah. And then Bill White was a, a counseling psychologist. He um, is, was, well, I don't know what he is now. but he, Anyway, he, um, he uh, had studied with Francis Schaeffer, who's a theologian. If you haven't read Francis Schaeffer, read Francis Schaeffer, particularly the book True Spirituality. And um, Francis, he went to a place called Le Brie, which there was a study center there. And so he came back and opened up his home. And I lived in his home and listened to tapes by Francis Schaeffer. And then when the Luganer Valley Study Center opened (coughs) in the early 70s, we would drive up for Monday night, discussions, I think they call them gab fests and, and uh, so that was that was a, a lebree like type place. so um, uh, Bill white, very important. He also taught me physical stewardship. I always wanted to be fit. He helped me really get fit. He also helped me return to school and so he was a mentor. He was my first really clear mentor. I've had other teachers and friends, but he was he was a major mentor.
0: What would you say makes a great mentor?
1: Uh, somebody that has a capacity to self-regulate, to pay attention to themselves and self-regulate, and has a genuine interest to not impose what they know, but impart of who they are to the people that they care about. So they have to have a strong orientation toward others. I've had lots of great mentors and teachers. Ken um, Gary was a farmer. He still continues. He's in his late 70s. He, He's a farmer. And he taught me a lot about work and how to show up and pay attention, practice my craft. Brilliant man in his... Uh, in, in the work he did. I was going to say in his field, literally in his field. He was, a, as I said, he was, he's a farmer and a craftsman, just a remarkable man of character and true to who he is. Make sense? Yeah. Brilliant guy. So you, you look for teachers where they can be found. You look for mentors where they can be found. And you make sure you're ready to receive what it is they have to offer. And it's primarily exposure. I don't know if it's questions answered, but it's exposure over time.
0: It's excellent. What, so, what do you do to continue, continually grow and develop yourself?
1: Hmm. Well, I'm developmental by nature, so I'm always developing myself. I'm not operational in terms of necessarily how things run and getting things done, although I get them done. I'm a one-step-at-a-time guy, kind of a single-threader. Okay, But I'm always learning, growing, changing, maturing, and hopefully influencing differently. And So every morning, uh, at least most mornings, I read. I certainly have my devotional readings and my time in the Word. Um, and my favorite thing there is to... Having been a Christian for forty years, is to read different parts of the Bible and see how they inform one another. And uh, took a statement from Martin Luther, the reformer and um, Protestant reformer, and he talked about praying. and And I took it to, to reading the Word that you kind of take several strands and you weave them together to form a very strong cord. So I I like to weave the Scriptures or need them. If I were a baker, I'd be kneading the dough. So I come out with a point of view and an understanding that I didn't have before I did that. That's, that's a piece of it. I also choose who I want to learn from. And I if possible, I learn from them uh, by being with them. Uh, two recent people over the last probably seven years are Doug Silsby. He is not a believer. He's a Buddhist, but he's very deeply aware and practices his craft. So I've spent time with him. Another guy is Bill O'Hanlon. Doug Silsby is a presence-based teacher. He teaches, helps people, coaches be present with themselves and with others and work in the moment. And um, Bill O'Hanlon that I've been with is a... uh, He's a uh, possibility therapist. So I spent a week with him in New Mexico, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then this summer I spent two days over in Cincinnati, Ohio, <clears throat> getting oriented and getting my initial certification as a uh, from a guy by the name of Marshall Goldsmith. A Marshall Goldsmith <clears throat> is a preeminent coach, and he's a preeminent performance coach, and he shifts the attention from the person being coached to the people that in fact he or she is in service to the stakeholders so his approach is called stakeholder based coaching Uh, so I I tend to move around with people that I believe are at the heart of their craft I can cite others but that's, that's what I do I learn from you I'm always looking to be taught I'm always looking to be taught so you're teaching me Okay, you're teaching me about a, a perseverance, about purpose, about how eager you are to learn and how responsive you are to be taught. That's what I find.
0: Great.
1: Okay. Thank you. So I'm I'm learning. You're reminding me of things that matter. So I'm always open to what, in fact, God would teach me through other people. That's good. So you
0: mentioned your I'm, reader. Uh,
1: no, no, I, I can give other examples. My daughter's coaching me on how to perceive things aesthetically.
0: Okay.
1: How to create every... She, her statement is, this is Amy, has the, everyone has the capacity and capability to uh, have an aesthetic moment at any time. And two things have to happen. You have to be able to frame it so you can see it. And second, you have to recognize the composition, what makes it up. So right now I'm having an aesthetic moment. I'm watching the light shine around your head and over your right shoulder. I'm looking through a window and see the reflection of a bookcase that's over against the wall, okay, on the glass door in that other room. And I'm noticing the light and how the light is very bright and comes down and frames you. So it's pleasing to me, and I'm appreciative. What's your aesthetic moment right now?
0: I just love being with you. Yeah, so I'm seeing you. I don't
1: know. So we can practice. Well, I think you do know. We can practice Philippians 4.8. Whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is acceptable, whatever is perfect, whatever is excellent. Yeah. Think about these things. Let your mind dwell on these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Not just the peace of God, but the God of peace will be with you. Yeah. So, so the Lord is with us Yeah. in this moment. So that's kind of how I roll, Doug. Anything else?
0: Yeah, so uh, talk about failure. You spend a lot of time with leaders. I'm curious in, in your journey, uh, what have you learned about failure?
1: Well, first of all, not to be afraid of it. Uh, <clears throat> you have to have a posture toward uh, um, disruption and failure that does not undermine the freedom to make mistakes. So it's, it's um, handling crisis development, I guess, a crisis and difficulty and failure, okay, <clears throat> uh, and, re- and by removing the fear of making a mistake. So I, I tend to blame and shame myself, and people, I, I find that other people do that. They take their cues so you have, to eat, you have to digest what you eat many people stay with situations and they repeat them we, I repeat them because I don't learn from them I don't let them be my teachers I ingest them and experience them but I don't digest them so failure for me uh, is um, you know, I want to I learn from the past not live in it and I want to be able to leverage it moving forward and I to. I want to recognize my weaknesses, and um, I, I practice a twelve-step 12 program. It's a recovery program, and uh, there, there are. I'm always learning about my character defects. Not to not to accuse me or confuse me, but so I can acknowledge them and accept them and act on them. Okay, recognize them, share them with the with the living God. Um, or, and someone else, typically, but certainly with the Lord, and then um, ask Him uh, to ready myself. I ready myself, prepare myself for Him to remove them. And then I ask Him to remove them. And then uh, if there's an offense. To recognize that offense and acknowledge that offense and go, in fact, and make amends for that offense as long as it's not harmful to do so. It happened Monday night at my home. I told my wife that I would leave her two two cupcakes, (laughs) and I ate one during the night Uh, because I'm a compulsive sugar junkie. (laughs) And she was really upset with me the next morning. And I apologized. And as I processed it, I called her back yesterday afternoon and said here's what I, I really want to acknowledge and that is I I gave you my word mm. that there would be two cupcakes and I didn't keep my word mm. and so I violated your trust and my commitment and I apologized for that. You with me?
0: Yeah, that's excellent.
1: So that's, that's how I pay attention and again failure it, Bruce Bickle who's a very good friend, he talks about not focusing on success because if you focus on success, you can only fail. But if you focus on fruitfulness and excellence, then you can digest that failure quickly because you're not trying to succeed. You're trying to become excellent. So I try to become more and more able in my craft. Make sense? Yeah. yeah, of course it makes sense. Uh, <laughs> and br- and br- and meaning, I'm i I'm want to make sure I'm being understood. What do you, underst- you are. What are you seeing in what I'm saying so far? What stands out for you? Uh,
0: the specifically just what you just said. Don't focus on success, but fruitfulness. Again, that's a, I always picture success as this, as opposed to just practice on growing to my ultimate maximum potential. So for me, because the fair failure, like I told, we were talking about earlier, the fail fear of failure failure is isn't having as much impact on me as the, uh, the fear of success and what that looks like. So if I stop focusing on what this what I think success is and just focus on fruitfulness, that's helpful.
1: Yeah. And, the, and success is the byproduct. Yeah. Success is the byproduct. Yeah. And again, I could give examples, but I think you have your own.
0: Yeah. Okay. This may be a similar question, so if you want to pass it, we can, but how do you process pain as a leader?
1: How I process pain as a person. I'm very uh, susceptible to depression and self-condemnation and pride. And I create pain in my own life. I also want to be, I, I, I really want to be approved of, and I fear disapproval so I find that I avoid disapproval and sometimes I'm not telling the truth sometimes I'm not standing up sometimes I'm not standing firm so I I can't let my pain uh, get in the way of the practice of being Rick Wellock. and my pain often makes me afraid I become afraid I want to avoid my pain rather than face my pain. So my, di- my discipline is to, pr- is to face my pain and to stay with that and live in that as long as I need to until I di- digest it. I just had an experience like that. My son got married <clears throat> this weekend and I realized uh, on s- during the week, during the whole event, I, I seemed a little detached. And my emphasis was on him, but I seemed a little detached And the reason was, this was hard for me to let my boy be his own man because I was attached to him. It was about me, not about him. So I had to process that, and I processed that Monday, and I processed that yesterday, growing through that, growing through that. And what happened is I... I, uh, Came to the realization that I'm, I'm 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 in a different stage of life. I'm in a transition. Another transition. And I I realized that with my children too when I was raising them that uh, the person that needed to grow the most during their adolescence was me. say more about pain but to help people face it to face the pain but never do it alone I believe <clears throat> the way we're made is that we're to do things in relationship it's deeply Trinitarian the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are in deep communion with one another so to organize ourselves well we have to organize ourselves not around just our, our who we are individually but who we are in relationship and relationships are the place that we can best process pain. That's why listening and paying attention is so healing and cathartic and empowering. It's good.
0: So. You've been a professional coach using the SEMA, am I saying that right? Mm-hmm, yeah. SEMA methodology. Uh, so, one, briefly tell us what that is. But I'm curious, over 30 years of coaching leaders, what have you learned from specifically that experience in working with leaders?
1: Well, our, I, what I would say is that the two things. One, if we define ourselves around the work we have to do, uh, we can get overextended and underutilized. Leaders can get very much pulled into the kinds of things that they, in fact, are competent in and away from the very things where they're most gifted. So I distinguish between competence and giftedness. Um, The the second thing is uh, that you have to build on strengths. As Paul says, for example, in Romans 12:1 through 8, and elsewhere in Ephesians 4, that we have, the, we're, we're made up, we're assembled as a body, as an organism. And so, I do my part, and therefore, other people must do their part. So, what is my part, and what are the part of other people? How do we fit together, so that I can not only we can get the job done, but I can fulfill my call, I can fulfill my calling notice how Jesus did that with the disciples he just didn't go out on his own he got baptized and he went and recruited his team uh, <clears throat> and there was and he, there were several realities behind that but, but that's what he did he built an organization on, on their unique abilities um, SEMA is a process What's the, you asked me about leaders what have I learned? Oh That uh, our strengths, uh, with need not just to simply be known and used, but submitted. Submitted. It's the submission, the subordination of strength, that you really see people flourish. People can be great and gifted and get things done, but we can also be proud. Uh, You know, I can be proud. I can be. Uh, fearful, I can be any number of ways, but uh, helping people actually own and and manage their strengths has been a major piece.
0: I'm curious, so how would you? So I know one time you were telling me that I use my gifts impulsively, mm-hmm. which is stuck with me, and I'm trying to process that. So how do you, especially specifically, talk to to young leaders in their twenties and thirties, in the beginning of their career? What would your roadmap for us be, and what advice would you give to us as far as discovering our strengths and gifting, calling, and actually maturing in that process?
1: I would say ask for feedback, and what, what Marshall Goldsmith calls feed forward. Ask people. Pick people that you serve. Ask them, what, what facilitates you and energizes you in the way I work? What's helpful? And then what frustrates you? What demotivates you? In terms of how I impact you, look at the positives, look at the negatives. So ask for feedback. Second thing I would say is is that make sure you've got an accountability prob- partner, somebody that knows your strengths and also knows your weaknesses, and they're interested in your effectiveness and your impact on others. I can be very well-intended, but I can also have a negative impact if I don't pay attention to it. So does that makes sense? Yeah. So, so I learned to self-correct, but I need feedback to do that. And when I use the word feed-forward, <clears throat> feed-forward has to do with not only how I've impacted people and what's worked or hasn't worked, but then... <clears throat> recommendations on how I can improve going forward. Good. So I ask for help. I listen, and I thank people for it. Mm-hmm. And then I stop and integrate it. So build your build your your practice around those you serve.
0: Okay. So you you work a lot with organizations, and uh, I know personally, even at our organization, you've helped a lot of people work through conflict and friction, and uh, one, how big of a part of that is, how important is that, I guess, to, to have that skill to be able to work through friction and conflict, and what advice do you have for it? Again, I know you've helped me personally have some uncomfortable conversations that i didn't want to have but i'm thankful that you did uh what have you noticed in that whole space of conflict and friction and what would you suggest we do
1: well let's take you okay what 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 in fact was when you say there was a conflict what was there between you and jesse there was what
0: friction friction yeah
1: yeah there was a difference yes there was a difference and what made the difference as you dealt with that difference
0: that I did something about it as opposed to just let it live in my head or live in my conversations with others.
1: What made you most effective, which allowed you to actually resolve it? What was most effective?
0: <laughs> you made me call her and schedule a time to talk immediately when we had the conversation, which was great. It wasn't great at the time, but I'm very grateful you made me do that. Because I don't know that I would have, whatever I had, had I left your office.
1: You might have been avoidance. Right. So, there's always some choices around how we engage differences. I don't know that conflict is anything more than a signal and a sign that there's an issue. Now, the question then becomes when there's an issue, how do we address that issue? We're going to avoid it, hoping it'll go away and end. We're going to just perpetuate it and let it hang around. Or are we going to resolve it? And the, the trick in that is really listening to one another. There's a whole methodology that I teach people I've installed here uh, of talking and listening. And how do, we, how do we not only identify differences but hold our own point of view, honor ourselves in that and honor others. So being able to speak clear, clearly and confidently and completely congruently about our own experience and then embrace that in others through deep listening, not to agree or even disagree, but to simply understand and then look at what, in fact, we're both looking at together and say, what is it that we want and don't want? And then resolve to create some kind of future together or apart. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to agree. Okay, probably the most important thing is that I've learned not to try to resolve stories. There's your story, there's my story. Who's right? It goes nowhere. Let's tell the stories and let's look at what people want, what their interests are. Well, I want to be acknowledged. I was deeply hurt by what you did, Doug. Okay, and what I want is I want that acknowledged and set right. So you with me?
0: Yeah.
1: What I'm saying here is let's get at what people want in all this, not just what the story is. So I don't try to reconcile stories. That's
0: good. That was the exact outcome of a conversation I had last week with someone finding out what ultimately the stories there was a lot of pain that the story didn't really go anywhere so we both got frustrated but when we got to hey what do you want it was extremely effective because what they wanted had nothing to do with the story yeah but now looking back on the story it's like oh I see that and had I known that I would have totally acted differently but I didn't know and so my story was completely different so it was excellent
1: so, so there's a principle here sometimes what you know your point of view gets in the way of what you need to learn Hmm. Okay. and when I feel most misunderstood it's a signal to me that I probably don't understand the other person or persons that I'm talking to we don't have that place of real understanding yet great
0: so we have about five minutes so I have uh, three final questions one, I'd, I'd just real broad if you had to give any advice to young leaders what would it be?
1: Um, really focus on knowing who you are and how you're gifted and know who you belong to and cultivate that primary relationship.
0: What do you mean by that for people who who may not get it?
1: Well, it means that you... you, As far
0: as whose you are.
1: Whose you are is that that's... Everybody belongs to somebody. It may just be yourself, but I believe we're made for a a much more transcendent relationship with God. So who is God and who am I? And how do we build that relationship? And then what is my relationship with others? What does that look like? I believe organizing around relationships is really important. And then the practice of being attentive, focusing your attention, and being intentional. And how you take that intent, that goal, and bring it to the work you're doing and the people you're with, pay attention to that. And is there alignment or misalignment? And where does that lead in terms of an outcome, how people perform as a result of that? Makes sense? Yeah. I keep saying makes sense. I know it makes sense. But what's your understanding of what I'm saying?
0: On the attention side? Yeah. yeah, just focus and be attentive on what you are, but always be willing to change and adapt, I think. What else? I know you've always, you always always say, you know who you are, how you're gifted, and who you are. That's always helpful. Hey, I'm ultimately on God's, and if I trust God, all will peace. Then it'll all work out, and I'll take the right steps, and I'll get to the destination He has for me.
1: Yeah, look at, look at the first five verses of John 13, where Jesus is real clear on his identity. He's very clear on his identity. He also knows where he's come from. He knows his destination. He also knows his primary task is to love his people. And now he's going to show them the full extent of his love. He knows all that. Then notice what he does. He gets up. He wraps a towel around his waist. And he goes over. Then he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Who do I serve? Who am I in service to? Peter Drucker raises four basic questions. What's the business of my business? What's the nature of my calling, my craft? My craft. That's what I help people realize and get their hands around. Who is my customer? Excuse me. Who do I serve? and what does my customer value for those people what do they truly value this is true in marriage and then the fourth question is how do I take who I am and align that with what my customer truly values I learn how to be innovative I learn how to serve those I'm called to serve in a way that's true for me Makes sense. Yeah. Of course it makes sense. Yeah. Of course. Of course it makes sense. Not because I'm I'm particularly bright or able, but my interest is what are you seeing? What What would you take away from our time today? Well,
0: we're not done yet. We're not? <laughs> <laughs> no, I have one more question. But I think overall, the most helpful thing has been. And we didn't even do this during the recording But again, it's uh, when I focus on what I don't know Fear comes And when I focus on what I do know, peace comes yeah. And so if I just focus on what I do know And take those steps mm. Then I'll always be a peace And when I notice myself not at peace It's recognize it and adapt Because my pattern has been this and to focus on what I don't know, but if I rearrange that pattern to focus on what I do know and just take the steps, yes. I'll be all right in life. Yeah,
1: this is rather. What would you have me learn? <clears throat> this is what I know. What would you have me learn as I take that step? Yeah, lovely. Anything else before we end the time?
0: Yep. This is just a personal question. So I know you think you're thinking about what 70 is going to look like. I'm just curious, looking back on your life, whatever that is, what do you want Rick Wallet to be remembered for? What do you want your legacy to be?
1: Um, Well, it's a a great question, and I've thought about it before. Uh, The last probably three or four years, i thought about righteousness, right being and right doing, that I'd be a, a, a righteous man, A godly man, a good man, and a man who walked humbly with his God. And that people were, were redemptively affected. To redeem means to make whole as a result of my place on the planet. And that God's kingdom is more fully and intentionally being realized as a result of the time that I'm with and then the time that I'm apart from Doug Smith.
0: I know that's been the case in my life, so thank you so much for your time, Drake. Exactly.
1: Would you like it me to end with a couple of animal sounds?
0: Yeah, that would be fantastic. Okay.
1: Here's 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 a here's a happy chicken. <laughs> <laughs> It's a happy chicken. Here's a sad chicken. (laughs) Thank you for the interview. You're welcome. That's awesome. Thanks, Rick.